0: Welcome back. Tuesday, November 14th, 2023. We have Mr. Bill. We have David Dahl. We have Miss Terry. While it is unfair to ask any member of a certain generation to speak for or be representative of the entirety of that generation— Consider asking Lewis Hallman to speak on behalf of or be responsible for millennials or David Dahl to speak on behalf of Gen Z. It is also true that anyone short of an appointed or elected spokesman shouldn't be able to speak on behalf of any group or have it carry any weight, moral or otherwise. But we get that a lot these days, don't we? Think of sentences spoken to government officials at colleges or other fora that begin with, speaking as a fill in the blank, dot, dot, dot. Sometimes it's a religious affiliation. Sometimes it's a racial affiliation. Sometimes it's an age affiliation. Sometimes it's a party affiliation. It's presumptive, it's peremptory, and it's almost always nonsensical. Just consider three examples. Ibrahim Kendi starting a sentence saying, speaking as an African-American, and then have Candace Owens saying, speaking as an African-American. Or Ilan Omar saying, speaking as a Somali-American. Or, speaking as someone born into the Muslim faith. And Ayan Hirsi Ali saying, speaking as a Somali American. Or, speaking as someone born into the Muslim faith. Or Jerry Nadler saying, speaking as a Jewish American. And Dennis Prager saying, speaking as a Jewish American. It tells you nearly nothing about the group. For it presumes, by those who invoke that syntax, a presumption to represent that group, which is really an arrogance. For the record, usually you don't hear those constructions from conservatives, and perhaps that has to do with a fidelity to the notion of individual rights, or at least individualism, and a distaste for the notion of the cadre, a Marxist notion of collective representation of ideology, or that race or gender should determine thought." Hold this for a moment as I bring up another element new to our political and social discourse, the notion that everyone has their truth and everyone's voice is equally important. The first is as silly as the second. A pronoun-inspired truth is by definition distinct from a definite article truth. My truth, the moment it is uttered, for instance, is stated, willingly or not, is stating, wittingly or not, that it is separate from the truth. As for everyone's voice being equally important, just consider the deployment of that principle anywhere serious, like an operating room or a courtroom or a law firm or an architecture firm or a plumbing repair or a construction site. Unfortunately, too often it finds countenance, though, in a classroom. This is all to say, as individuals and humans, we all carry certain responsibilities, some of them in training and expertise, some some of them having to do with roles, duties, and work, and hopefully all of them moral or having to do with a common moral understanding of things. I'm here reminded of the story from the Book of Virtues, all God's children, all God's creatures, I'm sorry, all God's creatures have work to do, and we'll get to that. I was thinking about all of this in regard to two stories from The New York Times Hugh Hallman sent me, both from yesterday. One, here's the headline, State Department employees send Blinken dissent cables over Gaza policy, close quote. And two, quote, Democratic aides and Congress break with their bosses on Israel-Hamas war, close quote. In the first story about the State Department, I'm reminded of an old legal principle from Oliver Wendell Holmes. There may be a constitutional right to talk politics, but there is no constitutional right to do so as a policeman, that is to say, as a government employee. That principle has been refined for some time, but it spoke to an adult or mature understanding of things. In government, representative and elective government, the boss usually is the one to set policy, and the boss even... If an average one usually takes in advice among deputies and lieutenants and assistants, the rest of the polity then assumes the staff dispatches said policies, be they municipal, state or federal. Nobody really cares what the assistant to the assistant deputy of X or zero thinks. And if they don't agree with the direction of their duties or job, they should not be there. We don't do indentured servitude here. You are free to quit. What some of this requires, of course, is a level of maturity, too. We've all heard and some of us have seen stories of immaturity in the younger generations, you know, the millennial or Gen Z who thinks they should have the corner office on the first day of their job, so to speak. But it requires a maturity of leadership as well that does not coddle such accelerated development and thus engender more of it. When Karen Hughes became a Mid-East diplomat in the George W. Bush administration in the midst of our war against terror, she said at her confirmation hearing that, quote, if I have the opportunity to say just one thing to people throughout the Middle East, it will be I'm eager to listen. I want to learn more about you and your lives, what you fear, what you dream, what you believe, close quote. Some of us heard in that diplomatic speak what Bernard Lewis called anxious propitiation and responded, Well, what would she hear if some radical Muslim would be candid with her? She would hear, as we have heard again and again from the fatwas and the sermons, that the pain and rage, the fear, has to do with anything from the defeat of the Ottomans almost 100 years ago at Constantinople, or perhaps even further back, the defeat of the Muslim Moors at Andalusia over 500 years ago, in that interesting year of 1492. Was listening, more listening, really what we needed, one might ask? Was it going to solve any problem or win any war? Again, we think we've listened, we've heard enough, and we should generally abjure this kind of diplomacy in favor of our own sermons about our freedoms and the freedoms granted to people of all faith and women in America and the rest of the West. They never deign to listen to us. They don't want to hear us. And a reminder, too, about the several times Americans have taken up arms on behalf of Muslims would be of great value, too. At least that's what William Bennett and I wrote in response to Karen Hughes in a book of ours called The Fight of Our Lives. But just so, Anthony Blinken received the dissent from his employees on Israel and Gaza and said to them, per The New York Times, quote, I know that for many of you the suffering caused by this crisis is taking a profound personal toll, close quote. yes. The State Department employees must really be suffering in the Israel-Gaza war. Enter what Philip Reif called the triumph of the therapeutic. As for the congressional staffers, the Times reports, quote, "...the carnations arrived by the wheelbarrow. Blood red, pink, orange, and yellow, more than 10,000 stems were laid on the steps at the base of the Capitol against a clear blue sky." Each was meant to represent a civilian life lost. They were brought over by more than 100 congressional staff members, all wearing masks to obscure their identities, close quote. Masked staffers. Imagine that. The story goes on, quote, the walkout was the latest in a series of actions congressional aides have taken, almost all of them anonymously, to publicly urge members of Congress, their own bosses, to call for a ceasefire in Gaza, close quote. Why the anonymity? Lack of courage, perhaps? Is that really civil disobedience? I remember learning true civil disobedience was having the courage of your convictions and taking on the sanction, be it Henry David Thoreau or Martin Luther King, who said we only marched during the daytime, or for that matter, Daniel Ellsberg. Part of that is courage, of course. The other part is letting us know who you are so we can judge who you are and what your credentials may be. Interesting, the staffers, the Times tells us, are mostly under 35, which should surprise nobody. Rules, duties, and morality, as I mentioned above, seem to be a great discount for this generation whose understanding of history and context is, in too many cases, a self-delivered five-minute summa cum laude diploma from the University of TikTok or Instagram after having been raised in elementary and secondary schools, drenched in Purell and social, if not emotional and political, bubble wrap. They will be taken seriously, though, by the New York Times and by their leaders and bosses because their truth and seriousness is one informed by, as Secretary Blinken put it, their own suffering in this crisis, in this war. I'll tell you what I would like each and every one of them to suffer through. Just one good book on how authority and maturity and roles and policy setting works because evidently that isn't taught anymore. But more importantly, perhaps just one book, one good history book on World War II. I bet not a one of those staffers could even name the author of such a book. It would teach them a lot, namely what teen and young adult sacrifice and suffering, sometimes for your country and a moral cause, what it really is, what war actually is and means once it's been declared by an enemy. And yes, that there can be, and usually is, a moral distinction between the parties in those wars. That is, that there often is an enemy, and the word "enemy" means something, and not just in what they stand for, but also in how they fight. I'm Seth Leibson. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. Will be right back. Is this where you take your certain revenges out on me young David I want to get to the story and of all gonna die huh I want to get to the story of all God's creatures have work to do but first this looks like a lot of fun let me um, let me go to uh, Jake and Gilbert first hi
1: Jake good afternoon hi Seth good afternoon thanks for taking my call that I uh, I wanted to comment about on one of the discussion items you had yesterday about Trump looking good in the polls and a head-to-head against Biden. Um, And you said we can't count him out. Um, Before I make my comment, I want to make clear that if Trump gets the nomination, he has my full support. Uh, But there are two factors I think are missing from your analysis. One is that the media has not turned on the crazy at full blast just yet. I I think Trump derangement syndrome is hibernating. We see occasional sprinkles of it here and there, just like a bear might occasionally occasionally leave its den during the winter. But as soon as Trump shores up the Republican nomination, I think we're going to see the crazy comeback with a vengeance. And I'm not sure a character, even as big as Trump's is, is going to be able to overcome that. And this time around, the media has a lot more material to work with. Uh, secondly, I don't think we can count on Biden being the Democrats' nominee. I can see a future that waits till Trump gets the nomination, Biden gets sacked by the Democrats, and a pretty face who can actually speak like Gavin Newsom steps in. Now, you and I know the baggage that Gavin Newsom has, but I don't think the average American does. I don't think it even murder. matters.
0: I, I just don't even think that part matters. I mean, he's so skilled. I, I don't think people, th- people vote on the image more than the, I, no, I don't think people are going to vote on the California record, do you?
1: No, I don't. Yeah, no, I don't. And, and it won't be amplified by the media. Correct. Like, Trump, like trump's any, any bad thing that Trump has, that's going to be amplified, not Newsom's California. Record. Right.
0: Right. I think we're in agreement on all that. I don't disagree with anything you had to say. I you know, um, the only the only the only thing I might add to it or, or think through with you a little bit on the derangement syndrome, as you call it, thing. Uh, you know, the the full bore that if they've been cruising along at 65 miles per hour, maybe they'll take it to 85 miles per hour or something. Um, the only thing I just wonder is the exhaustion of and with it. I wonder if that's a factor. You know, this is an interesting question as I'm developing it in my head and listening to you. There has been all this—oh, my gosh, I don't even know what the right word is. Noise doesn't quite do it justice. But there's been a lot of noise about Trump for, well, since at least 2015, for a long time, year in, year out. I mean, they've done their best to turn him into the devil incarnate. We agree on that, and some people even think he is the devil incarnate and yet there is this funny thing at a certain point is there an exhaustion with that at a certain point take the worst things said about him and you know walk them backward well did he did he did he did he impose a coup and refuse to leave office no. Did he start foreign wars? No. Was his finger on the nuclear button a dangerous thing? No. Uh, Was the economy wrecked? No. (laughs) You know, at a certain point, I just wonder if 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 I don't know the answer to it. I just wonder if all that, um, you know, anti-Trump media. Can it get more than it already has? I, I don't know. Is there anyone more out there to be convinced that Trump is not worth voting for? is I guess the real question, and I don't know that there is. I just don't know that there is. It looks like, at looking at these polls, one last point, looking at these polls, it looks like there have been people who were considering voting for Biden again and are now saying, eh, eh I'm going to go with the guy that made my life better after all. Maybe. I don't know. It's a thought. Well,
1: hopefully. It, what, it might not convince anybody else, but it might drive more turnout. Because people are going to say, oh, my goodness, a threat to democracy is about to be our president again. Yeah. And
0: yeah, uh, I just wonder if it's the boy who cried wolf. That's all. I just wonder. Yeah, that's a good Uh, point. Because, um, well, I mean, I say that hesitatingly because the moral of the story is at the end there really was a wolf. But (laughs) but but maybe Chicken Little is the better analogy. I just wonder if if if, you know, there's an exhaustion factor. The media will bray. And the Democrats on the left will bray. But at the end of the day, um, maybe maybe enough people will say, you know, I've heard it all, but my life ain't better than it was four years ago. In fact, right. the world's life ain't better than it was four years ago. Uh, maybe. Yeah, I, I think it all goes in the mix. Fair enough. Fair enough analysis. Yes. Yeah. But I do think you're really right. And we need to be really serious about that Newsome point. Um, By the way, if if it's not Biden and the point yesterday, the stories yesterday were saying Biden thinks it's Biden, Biden, Biden very seriously thinks it's Biden. But if it's not Biden, it's not necessarily Newsom. Um, The the Democrats in uh, political consultant spheres, they're kind of pushing Gretchen Whitmer. I'd rather run against Gretchen Whitmer than Gavin Newsom, I'll tell you <laughs> right. that. But for some right. reason, they think Gretchen Whitmer is the better candidate. And maybe it's because Michigan is more important than California. But I think Gavin Newsom is, is, is a danger to run against. I really do. I, I, I think he is very well spoken. Is that debate supposedly still going to take place this, this month between him and DeSantis? It is, right? That'll be really interesting to see. That'll be really interesting to see. Anyway. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Jake. Much appreciated. Thank you. Okay, brother. Uh, stay safe. Be good. Where am I going to next? Jason in Phoenix. Hi. How are you, Jason?
2: I'm calling to apologize for yesterday
1: about the whole boy Clark thing. You, uh, <laughs> you're right. Uh, Willie. Bog, Oscar's <laughs> army buddy. So oh, close. oh, dear goodness. Well, a lot of apologies
0: yeah. need to go around on this. Uh, young David Dahl yeah. needs to issue a few. My producer needs to issue some apologies what? on this. Yes. You know what he did to me last night, Jason? What's that? I don't know. We spent a large portion of the show yesterday talking about the TV series, The Odd Couple. You indeed called in on it. You've called in on it now twice.
2: Well, yeah, I had to apologize. No, no, I, no fair enough. I, I and,
0: and and all good. All all candor, intelligence, and goodwill. The, the platonic measures of conversation. All very good. Um. So he texts me in the middle of the night, waking me up from deep sleep slumber, saying, look what I'm watching. Preening about the fact that he was watching, guess what, the wrong thing. He was watching the movie, The Odd Couple, not the series. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, Carl,
2: the wrong thing. Uh, that was uh, Walter Matthau yes. and Jack Lemmon, yes,
0: right? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. It's 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 very frustrating over here on this side of the glass. Well, well I, I, I start... try, I try, I try, I teach, I teach, I teach and we take the wrong lesson. This is uh, well, this is the same guy who watched Electric Horseman before Jaws when both became equally available on Netflix. You're never
1: going to let me. Look that <laughs> hey, so uh, yeah, I took your advice. I watched The Graduate, yeah. and I, I liked that movie. That was that was that was good. I saw the cameo with Mr. Roper from Three's Company and uh, and uh, Richard Dreyfus. So I caught all that. I got a crush on Anne Bancroft. Who didn't? He a looker back then. I know, Mrs. But, uh,
0: Robinson. That's the that was the weird thing. Mrs. Robinson was so much more pulchritudinous than Elaine Robinson. We'll be right back. Young David is spinning some good tunes here on our culture and economy segment. It is great to bring back John Dombrowski. John Dombrowski is the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. GrandCanyonPlanning.com, his website. Great way to learn more about Grand Canyon Planning Associates as well as reach out to him. How are you today, sir?
3: Fantastic, Seth. Thank you. You betcha. Uh,
0: Boy, big. Big day for the Dow Jones and S&P and NASDAQ. Not so much for the uh, yields, though, right? The treasuries.
3: Treasury yields fall. But uh, there's a reason for that. You know, we did see the CPI numbers coming out, consumer right uh, report. Uh, And it's interesting because this is something that was, uh, you know, concerning. Obviously, we wanted to see what these numbers were going to look like. And, uh, you know, the Fed has been kind of in this pause mode. And I think that some of the pontificators on Wall Street had believed that the Fed um, may have made their last move when they raised rates uh, you know, a while back, and they thought that might be the last raise. And I think this may be confirmation of that. Yeah, now we're uh, there,
0: right? Probably. It
3: seems to be. And yeah. so it seemed to be a little bit of a green light for investors, and we did see uh, the money pour into stocks, out of bonds. And, uh, yes, we saw interest rates on the 10-year Treasury falling below 4.5%, which uh, is another indicator. So uh, all of these things uh, bode well for stocks right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to see if uh, things continue to move this in this direction. But it, it was a really a, a, a very positive uh, day for not just uh, large cap stocks, but uh, we saw the Russell uh, 2000, which are the small cap stocks, uh, up 5% today, which is a big jump for one day for that mm-hmm. uh, index. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, You know, with the inflation going down, maybe things will turn around a little bit. Uh, But there is an interesting—our friend Steve Moore sent an interesting note out this morning. Joe Biden was trying to to tout Bidenomics earlier in the year. We all remember that. We thought it was odd. But boy the the voters regardless of whether you're a Republican or Democrat they're not saying a majority of Americans are indeed saying they are financially worse off under worse off yeah, yeah. I had seen that that's an
3: interesting 70% poll. Yeah. 70% of voters yeah. thought that uh you know they were worse off yeah. in this case you know it was interesting because um uh if you think about it, it the people who would be worse off would probably be people who are on somewhat of a fixed income probably, right Seth? Yeah. these are the people who uh, you know, they're living on their Social yep. Security or on a uh, moderate moderate uh, type of uh, income, yep. you know, from earnings or wages. Yep. Uh, and then they're just – they're getting by, but it, it's a struggle, right? right. Uh, and, uh, you know, with the cost of goods going up, as they have over the past couple of years, uh, even though we're seeing inflation slow at this time, uh, those elevated prices aren't dropping. It's just that's that right. they're not going up as fast, right? right? So that's right. what we have to understand. So, But those maybe who are in um, maybe some higher income – uh, areas of the market, they maybe aren't feeling it as much, right. and uh, so it's interesting. Uh, but I would even say in my business, uh, I'm noticing it yep. with our clientele, yep. that they believe that they're not. Uh, you know, better off They're than they are not better were. off than they were three and a half years Yeah, not better off, yeah. And a half, off, yeah. Yeah. And the high percentage of, of, of my, my clients would tell me that.
0: Politically, what's interesting is if you're right about that segment of the population that's feeling at the worst, and I believe you, I, I believe that it, that's right, it's interesting because mm-hmm. that's a high voter population. That's a very likely voter population, right? Uh, that is correct. No, no, that is
3: correct. No. And I think that's why we're seeing that that's so elevated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I I don't know what the numbers would be for some of the other past um, you know, uh, presidents. Uh, yeah, but this we certainly look. I'll take a not look at this point. Yeah, at this point. Not looking very good. It's not for, looking very good. For uh, the current administration. no. Now. No.
0: This was another interesting story. Boy, it's true still, isn't it? California charges families twice as much in taxes as Florida. It yeah. Obviously, delivers worse services. New York, too. <laughs> I mean, it, we all knew that it was higher, twice as much. Wow. I mean, that's yeah. a lot. That's a lot that's in a taxes.
3: Big number. You know, 3,000 versus probably, like yeah.
0: 8,000. Yeah. More than yeah. twice.
3: Yeah. Uh, more than twice. And, um, you know, for what? I mean, right. that's what I think the people are asking. You know, it's interesting how uh, Gavin Newsom had mentioned, yes, we, you know, cleaned up San Francisco because there was, yeah. you know, some the people coming in. You yeah. Know. <laughs> yeah. The, the citizens aren't was, the dignitaries, the Chinese it.
0: communists are. Yeah. Right, yeah. He right. said, we're doing yeah. it. You know, and yeah. they put,
3: it's funny how I saw a little article about how they put these mini walls up and, you know, I thought walls didn't work. Right. And, you know, it's just kind of interesting. Right. right. Um, you can't do But about I wonder what's going to happen. Oh, wait. What's going to happen next week? Yeah. When uh, – when it's all over. Well, uh, I know, be... but
0: we we can't forget that this is about uh a, this isn't about ability, it's about will. If they want to, they right. can do it. And that's been Yeah, hey, so I mean, many obviously
3: they problems. could do it. They yeah. did it and they, they could have <laughs> done it a long time ago.
0: <laughs> and they did it in about 3 days. I know. Yeah, it's pretty amazing how you can Thank do it if you, you put your mind to something. Thank yeah. you much, sir.
3: You bet. Check out our website, GrandCanyonPlanning.com. You can request an appointment with me right there. Securities and Advisory Services offered to the Creative One Securities LLC, a member of FINRA and SIPC, an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Creative One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Talk tomorrow.
0: Bless you, John. Thank you, sir.
3: You too. Bye.
0: All God's creatures have work to do. You want a little story, young David? Take sure. note. This is from the Book of Virtues. Two cousins grew up side by side From the day they both entered the world. They learned to crawl and toddle together and later how to run and swim and play ball and all the other things boys do together. They were constant and devoted friends. But eventually they began to drift apart as sometimes happens as even good friends move through life. One cousin took to his books, found a certain delight in learning, studied hard, and passed his exams with flying colors. The other cousin decided books weren't weren't such good companions. He skipped school a good bit so he could continue to swim and play ball, ignored his lessons, and ended up failing his exams. As is usually the way of the world, fortune rewarded the first cousin, who ended up becoming an advisor to the king himself. The second cousin soon found himself employed as an oarsman on his majesty's royal yacht, one day, the king and all his royal advisers embarked on a journey up the river. They sat under a wide canopy in the bow of the, road, bow of the boat, where the breeze was best, and they discussed affairs of state as the yacht moved along. The sight of his cousin sitting at ease with royalty irked the oarsman to no end. Look at that lazy fellow lounging there in the shade while I must break my back in the sun, he thought as he rowed. "'What gives him the right to sit up there any more than me? "'After all, aren't we both God's creatures?' The more, "'The more he thought about it, the angrier he grew. "'Look at those useless louts,' he began grumbling to his fellow oarsmen. "'They call themselves advisors, but all they do is sit and gab. "'Why, why should we sweat so hard to push their carcasses against the current? "'There's nothing fair about it. "'They ought to be back here rowing too. "'Aren't we all God's creatures?' That evening, they tied the yachts to shore to make camp. Everyone ate and fell asleep quickly. The oarsman woke in the middle of the night to find a firm hand shaking him by the shoulder. It was the king himself. There's a strange noise coming from over there, the king said, pointing. I can't get to sleep from wondering what it is. Please go find out. The oarsman jumped off the boat and ran up the hill. He came back a few minutes later. It's nothing, your majesty, he said. A cat has just given birth to a litter of noisy kittens. Oh, I see, said the king. What kind of kittens? The oarsman had not looked to see. So he ran up the hill again and came back. Siamese, he said. And how many kittens are there? The king asked. Again, the oarsman had not noticed. So he we went back again, came back and said six kittens. How many males? How many females? The king asked. The oarsman ran back yet again Three males, three fam- females,' he cried, beginning to lose his breath. "'I see,' said the king. "'Come with me.' They tiptoed to the bow of the boat, where the king woke the oarsman's cousin. "'There's a strange noise up on that hill,' he told them. "'Would, would, told them, would you go and find out what it is?' The adviser disappeared into the darkness and returned in but a moment. "'It's a newborn litter of kittens, your majesty.' What kind of kittens? the king asked. Siamese, answered the advisor. How many? Six. How many males? How many females? Three males, three females. The mother gave birth in an overturned barrel just after we arrived. The cats belong to the mayor of the village. He hopes they have not disturbed you and invites you to come take your pick if the court is in need of a royal cat. The king looked at the oarsman. I overheard your grumbling earlier today, he said. Yes, it is true, we are all God's creatures. But all God's creatures have work to do. I had to send you to shore four times for answers. My advisor went only once. That is why he is my advisor, and you must row the boat. You like that story? Huh? I thought you might. It's Yeah, um, soak it in. It
1: kind of feels unfair.
0: Oh, oh! really, does it?
1: Yes, there was an unfairness on the part of the oarsman. What was it? He was chastised for having to go to shore multiple times. <laughs> Maybe he should have uh, brought his cell phone along and taken a picture of the kittens. There we go. Problem solved. Amen. All done.
0: I think I need to go to Rick. Sometimes a lesson is lost. Hello, Rick.
2: <laughs> Hello, Seth.
0: How are you? <laughs>
2: well, thanks for taking my call. Sure. I... I, I'm I'm reluctant. Maybe to it was say too advanced. Yeah. Maybe story. maybe I
0: overshot. You
2: know. <laughs> oh, Seth, man, it's good to talk to you. I hope you're having a terrific
0: Tuesday. I certainly am. Thank you. I hope you are too.
2: Well, thank you. The Book of Virtues is just great. Yeah. Everything in it. So, yeah, that, I appreciate that. And Seth, I I just wanted to say uh, about your monologue. Bam. You hit another home run. Oh, thank you. Just terrific. And it inspired a couple of thoughts uh, that I'd like to run by you. Uh, but before that, I want to say thanks for giving attention to Roy Clark. Mm-hmm. And what do you think about Roy Clark playing under the double eagle?
0: Well, I'll probably leave that to my oarsman. Uh, okay. Pull up. <laughs> <laughs> I uh I don't I if I if I know it I'd have to hear it. I can't know it by name. I don't know it by name.
2: Oh, oh, okay. Okay. But I'm sure uh, if yeah. it's
0: Roy Clark, it's great. I'm sure. Yeah, it is. yeah, it, yeah, that's true. It is. You and it's just it's another it, one of what's his What's that line de- from Fargo? It demonstrates
2: a, his ability.
0: What's that line from Fargo? It's a Sheraton, so you know it's good.
2: Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> something like yeah, that. Yeah, something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, Seth, your monologue uh inspired uh one thought about educational ignorance. Mm -hmm. Uh, You may have heard Gorka on his show today earlier played an audio clip of a Hamas supporter who was riding on a sidewalk from the river to the sea, Uh and someone asked her, uh, what river? Mm -hmm. And she didn't know what river it was. there's
0: a lot of that, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, and that reminded me that this has been going on for a very long time. You remember uh, back in the day when uh, Jay Leno used to go out sure. on the on the streets and even to college campuses, and he would ask questions
3: sure.
2: that anyone should have known. Anyone educated in America should have known. Yeah. Yeah. And and these college kids and these people were like, uh, uh, you know, they. They didn't, yeah, they didn't know. They didn't know. And then I remembered, didn't you work on the report card on American education back in the 90s or no,
0: something? Well, I've, I've written a lot about it. I didn't work on it, but I've written okay, a lot on okay. it. Okay, yeah. okay. Well, a nation the, at risk is what you're probably thinking. nation of. at risk. Yeah, no, I, exactly I, was, right. I, no I, I wrote a lot yeah. about it and talked so a lot about it So the warning signs
2: but, have know. been going on for a long time, mm-hmm, that we mm-hmm. are educating an entire population that's not educated. Right. They're they're just, you know, educated ignorance. And that tied in to a corollary to my unified woke theory. Mm-hmm. Okay? The corollary being this, and you kind of touched on this yesterday or maybe Friday sometime, uh, that the elites will co-opt that unified woke theory for their nefarious purposes like you were talking about the media and how they will co-opt and and take you, you know the side of these quote unquote victims no. but not not really for decent purposes but to promote their own agendas of
0: course of course of course that's right of course that's right with very little understanding, very little comprehension, um, and usually a really bad instinct, a Marxist instinct. Thank you. Rick. Crisp. I like it. Portions of the show are brought to you by our good friends at Y Refi. They are good friends. They're great actors in the community. Great civic uh, participants in our community, and they also have a wonderfully secure investment that actually helps people. It's an investment where you can earn up to a ten and a quarter percent fixed rate of return, and it's not correlated to the Federal Reserve or the stock market. Uh, an investment where you're in control. There are absolutely no fees. You can turn your income on or off. Comp- Pound it whatever you like. Total peace of mind. No attack on principle. If you ever need your money back, you'll get your monthly statement with no surprises. It's a secure and collateralized portfolio that may be a better option for you than where you have your money now. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest the letter Y then R E F Y dot com or give them a call at eight 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 Y Refy. 24. Y Refi is local. Their offices are right on Chauncey Lane in North Phoenix. You can visit with them. I've been there many times. When you do, you'll get no sales pitch. You won't be asked to sign a thing. They just like talking about what it is that they do. Again, check them out either in person or online at invest, the letter Y, then R E F Y dot com or at 888 Y Refi 24. Mark is in Hello, Mark.
2: Hi, Seth, thanks for taking my call today. Listen, uh, we're looking at the, uh, you've touched on so many things, but to me it looks like we're looking at the utter failure of the government-run school systems to teach any of us uh, civics and how things work. When has it become time to start looking at Arthur Clarke's notion from Starship Troopers of earning citizenship through service or perhaps, I don't know. Maybe when you turn 18, you have to take the citizenship exam that naturalized citizens
0: have to do Yeah, a lot of states are doing that. It's a pretty low bar, even that. You'd be surprised, Mark, how low a bar that is. Um, But there's something about these highly—well, highly is the wrong word, I suppose— elite educated people who just get it wrong. You know, if you think about— Mark, uh, the previous caller, who was saying, you know, they're writing from the river to the sea, and they don't know which river or which sea. It would be a little, and I, and I said to him, I said, I know that there is the ignorance. Some of it isn't ignorant. Some of it is. With the ignorant, though, the question arises: but why are you picking the wrong side? It would be as if in 1940 someone said, "From sea to shining sea, Germany shall be free," and not knowing, you know. The, the two seas that we're talking about, three if you if you want, that take you all the way through Austria and, you know, to the uh, to, 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 to the Netherlands and so so forth. It would be but why why okay, so you don't know what seas we're talking about Adriatic North and I guess Baltic. But but why would you pick that side? What is the inclination that drives you to the enemy? And that's the thing that concerns me. It's not, it's not actual knowledge. It's moral wisdom that's lacking. That's my. If you have more on that, I've got to take a break, but you're welcome to weigh in on it. We've got to do top of the news. We'll be right back. 602 5080 960.